Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. When I was younger, on uh, I, I did lots of cross-country road trips. Um, but this one time, um, I think it. I think it was probably two thousand or something. Um, so I, I was running out of money, so I had to stop someplace and get a job for a bit. And so I was in the East Coast, and so I um, I went to Virginia to Charlottesville, and I got a job. And and that was that was a really interesting experience. I had some other things I'll probably share it some other day, but um, but Charlottesville itself is just kind of an interesting place. And uh, one of the interesting things about Charlottesville, Virginia, is that uh, within within few a few miles, um, three presidents had their estates, plantations that they owned and that they they lived and grew up on. Um, there's Thomas Jefferson, Monticello, uh, James Madison, and James Monroe. And you could go tour all these state, these estates and learn all these uh, interesting things about their lives and times. Um, but when I was there. When I was there, uh, there, there was nothing about slavery, which is kind of, this is all because all these presidents were kind of pre, pre-slavery or pre the abolition of slavery. And, and all three of these presidents, though, they, they had anti-slavery positions um, at one point or the other, but they all still owned slaves, right? So they were all, all were kind of against it, but they still had them. Um, and, and like I said, at, the time, at that time, the tours didn't really have much about their views on slaveries or, or um, didn't include um, portions of their estate that, you know, had housed the slaves. Um, nothing about, um, you know, Sally Hemings or any, any of those other people. And I think they're trying to do better now. Uh, I'm sure there's still a ways to go. Um, and actually, um, this is true. If you look around the, the Appalachian foothills around some of these uh, states, um, especially around Monticello, um, uh, you you can see these these little caves, kind of carved into the mountain, with bars on them. They're just like little, like they're indents with bars on them. Um, and I don't know what they're for. Um, uh, now some locals they were like, oh yeah, those aren't ever going to be on the tours. But that's what they said. They could have been pulling my leg because you know I'm, I was from Alaska. But that's what they said. Um, but back then. Um, there wasn't actually much interest in finding out about the actual history of a place and of the people involved in the place. It was kind of more just the celebration of the mythology around the presidents. Um, and, and sometimes we do that, right? We just kind of celebrate uh, the kind of the mythology around things. We don't actually really look at it because things get, well, things are a little bit weird, um, it's tedious finding out about the real people and real lives. Um, and of course, the downside of that is, is that uh, we lose the voices of all those people that are outside of that mythology, right? Because there, there are things that people that weren't important, um, things that they saw, that they experienced, that we can still learn from. Um, Our history is made up of real people, real people who matter, that are loved by their creator. 
And it's the same with the Bible, right? Sometimes we forget that the people of the Bible were actual people. They were actual people with their own stories and lives, especially in the New Testament. Um, I mean, most of the books of the New Testament are letters, they're epistles. And so they're addressed to churches and real people at those churches. And they mention those real people by name, and they kind of talk about the real situations that they're in. And, and we get to kind of eavesdrop onto their stories, right? We just get to hear a little bit of their stories. And so this Sunday, we're wrapping up our series on Colossians. Okay, we've been going through Colossians, and Paul ends his letter, um, like he ends up a lot of his letters, with just kind of like a lot of shout-outs to people, like, hey, this person, like, I see you over there, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or, I'm this person, I'm, I'm, bringing, he, I'm sending this guy with the letter. He's carrying the letter for me. Uh, if you have any questions, just ask them. Um, or he's just like, oh, yeah, and, and Billy says hi, you know. And there are all these people, and you're like, well, who are these people? And normally, when you read over these lists of names, you at least when I read over these lists of names, um, my eyes just kind of gloss over, right? Those are like, you know, like like when you're going through the list of genealogies, and uh, and I don't really pay attention about who they are or how you know their stories might fit within the context of the letter. But the whole book of Colossians is about how we serve a real God who came down in the flesh to redeem us from sin that affects our real lives, right? It's all about like, like reality and real people. And so this morning, we're going to just look at some of those real lives. Some, not those are big lists. So I, I, I only picked four, but uh, we're going to look at some of those lives. So let's pray and then we'll dig into this. Lord, you are good. And you, we know that every life has a story. That um, you're working amongst all people. And that you love all people, because all people have value to you, Lord. And we all have epic stories of your love and of your grace, Lord. And I pray that we have eyes to see the beauty of the story you're writing for our lives as we look at these other lives, Lord, and see the beauty that you wrote into theirs. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're going to start on Colossians chapter 4, starting on verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer to everyone. Now, all of these names are not English, so I'm going to mess them up. That's my, my, my disclaimer. Titius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our dear and faithful brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything that is happening here. 
My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort for me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I'll vouch for him that he is working hard for you, and for those of Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas sends his greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it also is read to the church of the Lacedaeans, that you, in turn, may read the letter from La Boy, you know, you say a word and you're just like, how do you say it again? Um, Laodicea, tell Arippius, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So, there are a lot of names given. I'm just going to go over four people, though. Onesimus, Mark, Ephorus, and Nympha. Because um, I think if we look at them, uh, well, they're just all very different. and They kind of just show the, the variety of people that Paul was writing about. Now, first off, Onesimus. Now, we don't actually get much about Onesimus from Colossians. But there's some key things to learn. One, Paul writes that Onesimus is our faithful and dear brother who is also one of you. Okay, so that means Onesimus is from Colossae. Okay, he's from there. And Paul's reintroducing him to the congregation as a brother or sister. Or, sorry, as a dear brother. Now, that means sometimes after he left Colossae, Onesimus became a Christian. He met Jesus. Um, now, because of the placement of the Bible, sometimes you don't get that the book of Philemon is all about Onesimus. It's all about Onesimus. Um, and it's quite possible that Philemon, which is also a letter, it's a letter to Philemon, um, and Colossians were delivered at the same time because they were going to the same place. Um, and the letters, if you look at the people who are addressed, it's addressed to all the same people. The cast of characters, it's almost all the same. And when we read Philemon, we discover that Onesimus was Philemon's slave. He was a runaway slave. And sometimes during Onesimus' travels, he met Paul in prison, and he came to faith. And they develop a real bond. Uh, Paul calls Onesimus, my son, in verse 10 of Philemon, and my very heart, in verse 12. But Paul sends him back to Colossae. He sends him back to Philemon. And from what we can tell, right, Onesimus went. Onesimus went there. So back to where he was a slave. Um, Onesimus was faithful, putting himself in a potentially dangerous situation because Philemon could have had Onesimus tortured, imprisoned, even executed for being a runaway slave. But Paul's sending him back, and Onesimus is going because they're committed to living faithfully. Um, one of the key parts of living faithfully is mutual submission. We actually covered that a couple weeks ago, right before Easter. And reconciliation. So Onesimus, uh, culturally speaking, is the offending party. 
culturally speaking, he's the offending party. He ran away. Um, and so to make things right, he's going to his former master and, and offering himself up. And Paul, I'm sure, I'm sure Paul, you know, as it's clear, he loves Onesimus. He's hoping that nothing bad happens to him. You know, he's hoping maybe that Philemon's going to get the hint that in Christ there's no slave nor free, right? Which he wrote, that there's equality under the cross. But Paul writes in, in Philemon, this is uh, verse 16, to welcome Onesimus, that he hopes that he welcomes Onesimus as no longer as a slave, as better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Why is he even better, dearer to Philemon? Because he's Philemon's chance to put his faith into action. Do you really believe these things? Because Philemon's part of the church. Do you really believe in the gospel? Right? This is your opportunity. This is your opportunity. Can you welcome him as a brother, this person that wronged you, right? Slaves, slaves are people. They're very valuable. He ran away. Are you gonna, are you gonna just welcome him in as a brother, not as a slave, but as a brother? Okay? We don't get those types of opportunities very often to really show you where your faith's at, what your faith's made of. And Paul is giving it to him. Um, slavery was a reality in, in that, that culture, in that society. But the kingdom of God pushes against those societal frameworks. Okay? And that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's pushing against, daring for Philemon to think of something bigger and bolder and to love more deeply than what society thinks is acceptable. All right? Can we do that? Can we do that? Can we love that deeply? Now, Another person I want to point out is Mark. Uh, Mark is the cousin of um, Barnabas. And, and it's a bit confusing because uh, the Jews at that time had a common cultural name, like a Greek name and an ethnic name. Um, so many of us have, have the same things. I know all of my kids have Korean names and they have white names. And, um, and I know some of you may have like native names and, and, and you have, have your like, you know, white, white names or whatever. So Mark is the Greek name. So Mark is the Greek name and his Jewish name is John. So John Mark. Um, so it's not the Apostle John. Um, but it's amazing that Paul is sending out greetings from Mark. Because at one point, Paul couldn't stand Mark. Mark just, just blew it. Right? Um, this is Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 41. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him, because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the, God, of the Lord. He went to Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Do you guys get that? So Mark was a washed-up missionary. He went out in the field, and he failed. <laughs> he had enough, and he left, right in the middle. And Paul didn't trust him. 
Uh, so much so that, that, that Paul and Barnabas got into, got into a fight about it, and they, they split up. This is the last time Barnabas is mentioned in Acts. So much that they, they, get, they, get, they, they get into a fight, and uh, Barnabas and Mark end up going home to Cyprus. Oh, that's where they're from. It's from Cyprus. But somehow, by the time Colossians comes around, Paul and Mark are reconciled. They're reconciled. Mark, this, the failed missionary, he's working alongside Paul, sending his greetings, right? Because there's always a second chance. There is always a second chance. There is always hope for redemption. Oh, and, and by the way, John Mark's also credited to writing the Gospel of Mark, which you know can be a flavor of when you're reading the Gospel of Mark. Like this is the Chronicle of Jesus from the perspective of somebody that blew it serving him. He entered into ministry and it was too much and he had to leave. But there's always a second chance. There's always a second chance. And God, God used Mark to write part of the Holy Scripture. And uh, there's also Luke. He also, um, Paul also mentions Luke in the letter who wrote Luke and Acts, but I'm not going to talk about them. But um, So next up, though, I do want to talk about Ephorus, who is one of you, and the servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now, you might remember that Ephorus is uh, the one who brought the gospel to Colossae. And Paul refers to him in the first chapter. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing through the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Ephorus, our dear servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Ephorus, he was the one that first went there. He's still their champion. He's never forgotten them. He's never forgotten them. He's like that old Sunday school teacher that's, that, you, you know, that you see 20 years later and they're still asking, about you, oh, I still pray for you. Do you have any of those people in your life? Do you wish you had some of those people in your life? Um, I, I used to be, um, I have this old high school teacher, and every time she sees me, um, so she always lets me know that she's, she hasn't forgotten about me. Um, and whenever I see her, I'm always excited to tell her about what I'm doing and um, the things that have happened to me throughout the years. And, uh, and as a former teacher, as a former uh, a teacher, I, I run into my students at, at, least, at least once a month. And... I love the way their eyes light up when they see me. Even the ones that really, I could say like, they probably hated me in high school and junior high. <laughs> but they see me now, you know, 10 years later, and they, they love me. And um, they are so excited to share about how they're doing. And they love it whenever I can say something I remember about them. Like, oh, I remember whenever you wrote that paper. And you're right, their eyes just light up. Ephorus, he's still their champion. He is still rooting for them. Who are the champions in your life? The cheerleaders that are rooting for you. Now, I hope you know somebody. But even if you don't feel like you have anybody, God is rooting for you. Your God is rooting for you. He is watching and praying over you, hoping that you make the right decisions, encouraging you to have the best life possible. And who are you championing? Who are you praying for? Who are you encouraging? Who are you pouring your life into? Right? That you still like, you know, follow up like, how are you doing? Yeah. Gosh, I remember whenever you were little and you did that. 
man, I remember how you used to love to sing that song. Who are you pouring your life into? And uh, last and not least, Nympha. This is verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea, to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, I don't have much to say about her because there's not much there. <laughs> um, but she's there. And it appears that she's, she's the head of the Laodicean church. The church meets in her house and she's named. So that means that she's the person of importance and a symbol. Um, the church is probably about 30 to 50 people. And so they met like, you know, in her like courtyard or her area. And uh, she... I have to mention her, though, because she, along with other female church leaders like Dorcas, Phoebe, Demaria, Priscilla, Lydia, Mary, Junia, they're all included in the Bible. They're actually there. And um, they're included with the scriptures, such as co-laborer, a deacon, fellow servant, and benefactor. So they have to be noted. And despite apostle, and despite there being no division, right, Male or female, um, along gender lines. There's no division amongst race lines. There's no division among ethnic lines. Because in Christ, there's no hierarchy. It's all about submission. It's all about submitting to, to one another out of love. And any person can be called and gifted to serve. And too often, these, uh, these women, we just don't even talk about them. Um, because we don't know what to do with them. And we don't know how to, and we, one, and it's hard work. Like, okay, how do I reconcile this with this, this other thing? And we don't want to do that work. But they're there. And they're named, and they're told, like, these are their jobs. This is what they did. And so we have to deal with that. And so I include Nymphia, the church leader, because she's somebody to note. Paul noted her. Right? These are real people. They have real stories. And they're people that Paul worked with and loved and supported. And, and hopefully as we see these people, we can see ourselves. Because Paul included all sorts of people. All sorts of people in this letter. Jews and Gentile. Men and women. People that messed up. Um, I, I didn't include, oh gosh, what's his name? There's, there's one of the guys in here that if you read... The, the Gospels, if you follow the lines, you can see he actually, he actually ended up appearing to leave, leave the faith. And he's included. Uh, Demas. So they, they actually talk about him going away and get, falling in love with the world. But God still loves him, included him. Hopefully we can see our own stories to know that God's writing a better one. Um, this letter has been uh, passed down over and over. And you're included in it too. Uh, during this passage, I, I, I saved this one part until the end. And there's part of Paul's prayer. Colossians 4, 3-4. And pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. I pray I may proclaim it clearly as I should. This letter has been preserved. It's been passed down. God opened up the door for Paul's message. God answered that prayer. And he's proclaiming the mystery of Christ to you.
that you have always been part of God's plans, that you have always been loved, that you've always been welcomed to the family, you've always been invited into his kingdom as a chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And furthermore, you're entrusted, you're given the opportunity to proclaim that all peoples are welcome to the kingdom of God, to carry that love forward, right? Searching for every opportunity to declare his love and his grace. Let's pray. Holy Father, you are good. And we pray um, that as we, as we hear stories of people and we think about people, Lord, we can reflect about how, how we're in the story, that we are included, Lord, that we're the, the product of the prayers and the faithfulness of the generations before us. And that we can um, embrace our heritage, a heritage um, maybe not of blood, but of love and service. A heritage based on the redeeming work of Christ and his salvation, which is offered to all. In Christ's name, amen.